Hello and welcome. The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. This morning's scripture reading is from Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. And I'm reading from the NIV version. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. For the director of music on my stringed instruments. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we've been on a journey with Habakkuk these last couple of months. For the last uh, eight weeks or so, it's a preacher's dream to go through the book of Habakkuk because you've got three chapters. Each chapter essentially is a prayer from the prophet and a response from God, except for the third chapter, which is a prayer and then a declaration of faith. And, and so in chapter 1, the prophet looks at what's going on in Judah among his people, and he's so, so shocked and astounded and so concerned and upset about what he sees, he cries out, God, how long? Where are you? Like, how long are you going to allow this to go on before you save us? And God responds to him. If you remember, God said, God said I'm doing a thing, and you're not even going to believe it. When you see it, it's going to blow your mind. Then Habakkuk prays again and asks God, why do you tolerate evil? Like, you're so holy, you can't look on evil, so why do you? Don't you care? What are you, what are you waiting for? And, and God gives a response, and he promises that he's going to raise up these Chaldeans, and, and he's going to send the Chaldeans to judge Judah, and then, and then some other bad things are going to happen, but there's God's answer to Habakkuk's prayer. It's like, there's the answer to your prayer. I don't know if that's what you wanted. Then Habakkuk in chapter 3 prays a third time. And it's a, it's a war psalm, if you remember. It's a psalm where he personifies God as this, this warrior God who goes out and he just like smokes and crushes his enemies. And it's a, it's a picture of what God's justice and God's judgment are going to look like. And here, we don't have a response to that from God, but what we have is the prophet announcing his faith and so what's interesting is the book of Habakkuk ends on a very different note than he started on, doesn't it? Like he's gone from God, how can I trust you? When I look at the disaster all around me, how can you expect me to trust you and that our culture and that our world are in good hands? That's where he was in chapter one to now he's in chapter three. And he says, whether there's no fruit on the vine and maybe the fig tree doesn't blossom and maybe there's no sheep in the pen, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust you no matter what. So today we want to ask, how does that happen? How does that transformation take place? How, do, how does a person go from despair to rejoicing? And, and you know, my hope today is, is that we really have hearts ready to hear this. This is the final message in the book of Habakkuk. I've loved this journey that we've been on. And it's fitting that this is our last message. You know, I, I think if this message lands on us right, I think it can save us so much bitterness. So much uh, anger. Lately, I, I came across 
the work of a writer. Her name is Lena Abu Hamra. She is a, an American missionary and speaker. She's also a pediatric emergency room doc in Chicago who grew up in Lebanon. So she writes a lot about her experience growing up in Lebanon and then, and then uh, as a woman for many years in conservative American church circles, okay? And in those circles, in, in her experience, she had a lot of times where she was, she was not trusted because she was a woman. She was not allowed to use her gifts because she was a woman. She was wounded by many of the other women, some men, and in many of the leaders of these churches. I mean, in, in a sense, she's actually got a lot in common with Habakkuk when you think about it. Both of them saw horrible things done by God's people, experienced it. They both wrote a book about it. And, and, and as the stories unfold, it's clear that for both Habakkuk and Lena Abu Hamrash, what, what changed wasn't their circumstances, but what changed was their expectations. Okay? And so I have a quote from Lena Abu Hamra's book. She, here's her conclusion, okay? Here's where she ends up. She says, We are all tempted to reach the wrong conclusions when we are living under the weight of our pain. But perhaps we judge God too soon. It's in the waiting that we must remember who God really is. God is committed to reminding us of his goodness when we are hurting. He's committed to proving to us over and over again just how much we mean to him. It is God's sovereign goodness that calls us out of our painful places. It is his justice that steps in and vindicates us even after we've mentally assumed our story is over. And it is the power of God that allows us to step back into our own life and calling even after we've counted ourselves out. Um, we could end the message right here, but what, what I don't want to do is, I don't want us just to take her word for it. I don't want you to, even, I don't want you to take my word for it. We want to know, like, is that what God has said too? Okay, so again, this is our, our final message in the book of Habakkuk. This is the prophet's, like, faithful farewell. We're going to see how he went from despair to rejoicing. And I think that there's three things that we're going to notice in this passage, okay? Three things we'll notice. Think of these as three choices for people who want to live by faith, okay? Three choices of people who want to live by faith. The first thing... The first choice is that faith doesn't mind trembling. Come with me to verse 16, if you would. So over the course of Habakkuk's journey, after all that he's been through, he's at the point now in chapter 3, near the end of his book, where he is able to rejoice after trembling. The rejoicing comes after his trembling, and the order matters, okay? It matters that he can rejoice and tremble, that matters, but it also matters the, the order, that the rejoicing comes after trembling. Look at, look at the beginning of chapter three. If you remember when you were with us, uh, if you were with us last week, uh, it's a war song, like he's the God of gods. He's the, he's the super God and nobody can withstand him. And it's, it's the kind of thing that brings about genuine awe in us. And here in verse 16, it's sinking in for Habakkuk just how awful God's judgment and God's justice are gonna be. He calls it a day of calamity here in verse 16. Do you see that? Uh, other versions say that it, 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 they use the language, it's a day of distress, it's a day of trouble, it's a day of disaster. So listen to what the prophet says. He says, I heard and my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound, decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet 
I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Now, you remember Habakkuk, has, he's been praying for justice, for those who have been troubling uh, his people. And now that he's seen what God plans to do, he's seen it in a, in a vision, he's shook. And we can see from this verse, he feels it. He trembles. He has this physiological response, this very bodily response. His heart's pounding. His, his lips uh, quiver. He, his bones uh, are, are, are rotting within him. And he's, his legs are trembling. He's, he's feeling it in his body. Do you see that? Now, these are what we call involuntary reactions. These are, these are unplanned. These are spontaneous. They, they just happen. And that matters because not everything is worth trembling over. Right? Not, not everybody can bring about a, a trembling response. Right? I mean, suppose, suppose I make a prediction that something terrible is going to happen. Okay? So, like, suppose I make a prediction that uh, there's going to be a flood. It's going to destroy all downtown Hamilton. Downtown Hamilton is going to be washed away. Okay, so what's your response to that going to be? Yeah, you're, not, you're certainly not going to tremble. You're certainly not going to pack up your house and warn your family and friends to leave. You're going to stay put. And you won't, you're not going to leave town because you know Molesky doesn't know what he's talking about. On the other hand, suppose Mike Molesky predicts something amazing is coming for this city. Some amazing like blessing. There's a, a, like a gold mine is going to be discovered under City Hall. All right, a gold mine. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine what it would do for the city to have gold discovered in, in Hamilton? LRT is paid for. Boom. House, affordable housing for everyone. Boom. Done. Every person currently living in a, in a tent on, on public property, every one of them gets a mansion. Boom. If they discover gold under City Hall in Hamilton. If, if, if I made that prediction, though, nobody's going to rejoice. Nobody's going to believe me. No one's going to start digging because you know, whether I'm making a, a prediction of, of something terrible or something awesome, you know I can't tell the future. I'm not God. I can't make these things happen. And so you're not going to tremble at my warnings. You're not going to rejoice at my predictions. But over the last few chapters of Habakkuk, God has shocked us. He has said some things that are actually shocking, potentially disturbing. He's said very soon he's going to raise up these Chaldeans Okay, they're going to conquer his people, Judah, carry them, take them into exile. Then he's going to be so upset with the Chaldeans for doing the thing that he raised them up to do. He's going to judge them and he's going to pour out his wrath on them. He's going to, he's, he's, it's a woeful situation. He's declared these, these five woes on the Chaldeans in chapter two, if you remember. Well, can you explain that in, other, in any way that isn't surprising and shocking and, and potentially like disturbing? Of course not, because that's what it is. And, and Habakkuk feels it, and it causes him to tremble, okay? Listen, if you can feel that, if you see the things that God is doing, if you can hear about the things that God intends to do, and you can feel it, and if it can cause you to tremble, that's a good thing. Let me tell you something. Show me a person who's too distracted, too like self-absorbed to, to, to tremble, at what's going on around them, to tremble at the pain and misery, I'll show you somebody who can't rejoice in God's blessings either. Now, Habakkuk rejoices in God, but first he's going to tremble, and faith can do both. 
Faith can do both. In fact, I think that's how you know you have faith. Because you have the ability to tremble. We don't tremble if we have some other explanation. We tremble because we know that whatever we've just seen happen, we know that it was God. We know that it was God. That's why we tremble. What I'm saying is that the ability to tremble is a good indicator that we have genuine faith in God. The only God who can cause rejoicing, spontaneous, genuine, authentic rejoicing, the only God who can do that is a God who can also cause spontaneous trembling first. And so if we can't be shocked by God and confused by God and even potentially disturbed by God, we will never rejoice in God. Not really. Not really. And in the same way, if we want to be a people who are capable of rejoicing, we need to not mind a little trembling once in a while. That's the faith of Habakkuk. Great rejoicing, great trembling, but the trembling comes first. Faith doesn't mind a little trembling. Another choice that I think faith makes is faith doesn't wait for why. Faith doesn't wait for a why. What do I mean here? Come with me to verses 17 and 18 here, if you would. In verses 17 and 18, Habakkuk names some some hard things that uh, might happen. And he says afterwards, yet I'll trust you. Even if these things happen, God, I will trust you, right? And I gotta be honest, I wish that I could say amen to that. The truth is, I might rejoice like that. I might, but it depends on the day. In fact, it depends on the reason why these things are happening. Do you know what I mean? Uh, look, at the, look at what he says with me. He says, uh, though the fig tree doesn't bud and there's no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails the po- and the... He says, though the feet... He says, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Okay, well, listen, let's just pause here a minute. Just imagine with me. Just Let's do an imagination exercise here, okay? Let's just, let's just pause here a minute with me, okay? Um, let, just imagine. Imagine, imagine that I'm a, I'm a fig farmer and my fig trees one year are dying because... There's a frost in the spring that kills all my trees. That would be, that'd be a bummer. That'd be a huge disappointment. And, uh, but I, I think that I would still be able to worship God in the midst of that. You know, I think I could trust him with that. But, but suppose that the reason why my fig crop fails, or suppose the reason that there's no grapes on the vine for me that year is because another farmer, a, a rival farmer, so he, he snuck into my orchard and he poisoned all the vines. Well, that's different, isn't it? That would be harder to take. I don't know if I could rejoice in the Lord in those circumstances. Or suppose we're talking about olives, okay? Suppose I'm an olive farmer now, and, and, and let's say that one year there's not enough rain, and so nobody in the whole valley, nobody's able to grow any olives. That would be hard. That'd be a disappointment. But if I learned that the reason that my olive crop failed is because raccoons got into my grove and, and I'm the only farm that the raccoons hit, man, that would be harder to take. You know what I'm saying? Or 
Suppose we're talking about the sheep and the cattle. Suppose I'm a, a farmer with livestock and I've got sheep and I go out and, and I check my barn one night and I realize that, shoot, the night before I left the barn door open and all the sheep and the cattle got out. Well, that would be, that would be hard to take, but you know what? That's on me. That's on me and I would take care of it. I would figure it out and I could trust God with that. But suppose the reason that my sheep and my cattle are missing is because they've been stolen. Suppose I go down later on, you know, a couple weeks later, I go down to Jerusalem to the temple to make a sacrifice with my family. And, uh, you know, the, the priests happen to have this, a little side business beside the temple where you can buy their sheep and their cattle at a discount. If you don't have a sheep or, a, you know, a bull of your own to sacrifice, you can buy one of theirs. And so suppose I'm going down and I'm, I'm browsing the sheep and the cattle and I, and I notice that they're branded with my family's crest. Like those are my sheep and those are my cattle. I would be furious over that. And I certainly don't think uh, I would be able to rejoice in the Lord in those circumstances. Okay, I, I certainly, I don't know if I could say what Habakkuk says here. He's like, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. I'm pretty sure I would want to ask, God, like, seriously? Come on. Why me? You know what I'm saying? I think that Habakkuk makes me realize that a lot of the time, my rejoicing in God, it's conditional. It's conditional. I, I realize that I have expectations of God. I realize that I expect answers to my questions. I expect to know God's plan and to approve of God's purpose for the things that happen in my life. That's what I, I, I realize a lot of the time. That's, my, that's what I expect. But that's not faith. That is not faith. That is not the way of Jesus. Someone who's really helped my understanding of what it means to live by faith is Eugene Peterson. And he, you know, what, what I love about Peterson is he just, he always challenges my expectations. Like, why do I have these assumptions? Why do I have these expectations? And, and he's literally written the book on what it means to live by faith. And so he has this to say about what the normal Christian life is going to be like. He says, you ask God questions and you go without a lot of answers. You learn to live with the mystery of a God who doesn't tell us all the details. Kids ask their parents a lot of questions, and sometimes parents say to their kids, just trust me, you don't know enough to understand the answer. So just live a while. Well, being a Christian and reading the Bible is not a way to get all your questions answered. There are few answers in the Bible. God is wanting to draw us into a relationship of faith, intimacy, and love. That doesn't come through information alone. It comes through trust, obedience, and the willingness to be present in the mystery of God. Peterson says uh, it comes through letting God reveal himself to us as we're able to receive the revelation. If God just dumped all the answers on us all at once, we probably couldn't handle it. We would misuse it. We would think we had control of it now. Well, that's, that's a really good word. If we expect to understand and approve of the why behind all the things that God allows, we will never rejoice in him. We will never rejoice in him. We will never obey him. We will never serve him. We will never worship him if our worship is conditional on us understanding and approving of God's reasons. We will never, we never will. Because you, you and I both know one of, the, like, one of the fundamental rules of the universe 
is that whoever has all the answers, that's the one who deserves the worship. The one who knows the answer to every question, why, that's the person who deserves the worship. That's just the rule, okay? And I don't know, I don't know who needs to hear this. But if we always expect to know why, then we are not worshipers. We've become consultants and, and God's advisors. It's like he's got to run his, his plans past us. And in that case, he's not God, we are. And that's not faith. Faith doesn't wait for why. Faith doesn't wait for why. Okay, that's the second choice. Now the third choice, the final choice uh, that faith makes based on this passage is that faith doesn't judge God. Faith doesn't judge God. This, ver- this lesson comes from verse 19. Here, Habakkuk believes that whatever God is doing, it's worth the wait. And, you know, I admire that. That's, that's faith. I mean, it's not like things are, are better. Like, circumstances haven't changed for Habakkuk, you know? Like, things, like, like that king, Jehoiakim, we talked about him a few weeks ago. He's still the king of Judah, and he's still awful. He's still in Egypt's pocket. He's still exploiting the poor. And he's still as corrupt and, and awful as ever. The Chaldean attack is still coming sometime in the future. Habakkuk doesn't know when, but it's still coming. That hasn't changed. You know, that it's impending. And, and, and what Habakkuk doesn't know is it's going to be another 70 years before God's people can resettle in Jerusalem. And if, if Habakkuk were so inclined, he might conclude, Oh my goodness, what is the point? This is all such a waste of time. But look what Habakkuk actually says. Verse 16. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity. Then after he spends some some time showing how, after all the hard things that might happen to sheep and cattle and olives and all of that stuff, he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. And, and the final thought in the book, the final thought in the book is Habakkuk expressing his idea of what God is up to. And he says, verse 19, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Like, you know what this is? This is training. God is making me more sure-footed, like a deer on a mountain. That's what he's doing. That's what God is up to. And I'm just like, man, how many of us, having seen what Habakkuk has seen, would look at this moment of, of God's judgment and of, of just doom and calamity and would say, you know what's coming is good news. This is good. This is going to be good. God is on the move. He's doing a good thing. This is good news. Of course not. Of course not. It, it certainly doesn't look like it. We would judge God based on what we see. We would judge God based on what we see, because that's what we do. When I was a student at University of Guelph a bunch of years ago, I was a leader of a, a student ministry called Power to Change. And a friend of mine, I'll, I'll call him Peter, it's not his name, but I'll call him Peter, um, he, was our, uh, he was our evangelism coordinator. Like He was a volunteer who trained other volunteers in the ministry how to share their faith. And he, he did it constantly. He was a very natural evangelist. He trained people to share their faith and he would take them out sharing and God used him to bring people to faith in Jesus. And he, and he did that for a couple of years. 
Well, after we graduated, we, we sort of lost touch. And a couple of years later, we, we, um, we sort of started exchanging messages. We knew we would both be in town and we planned to catch up over coffee. And I will never forget sitting across the table from this guy, uh, sitting at Williams, you know, sitting across the table from him. And he shares his story that all that time, for like four years through university, he battled this secret addiction to pornography. And because of the ways that he overheard Christians talk about pornography, he never felt safe confessing his problem. He never felt safe asking for help. And what Peter told me over coffee is that he fought for so long and he saw so little victory that he told me, Mike, I just want you to know, I'm not a Christian. I no longer believe God can be trusted, if I ever did. Christians are all hypocrites. And it was a waste. And I was, like, I was stunned. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to, to say. But I'll tell you, you know, after spending this time in Habakkuk, I think that I do. And I, I think that you can too. Earlier, I shared about Lena Abu Hamra, and uh, she shared her faith story about some of the hurts that she experienced in the church. And uh, one of the things that, as she writes about it, one of the things she wishes she had learned earlier in her faith story is this. It's that our wounds, she says, have a way of causing us to become more focused on what's happening to us than what God is trying to accomplish in us. But when you least expect it, God steps in and faithfully points the way forward. I've wondered how my story would have ended had I refused to simply say yes. I wonder how your story will end if you simply keep on saying yes to God's invitation to trust him. This is the way of faith. Isn't that great? And in the same way, if I had the opportunity to sit down with Peter, you know what I'd do? I would listen to him, I would hug him and pray with him and cry with him. And, and, and when it came time to talk, I would say, Peter, I am so sorry for what you went through. I'm sorry that I wasn't the friend you needed me to be. And I'm sorry that I was part of the hurt. I'm sorry for that. Can you forgive me? But then when it was, when it was appropriate, I would ask him, you know, Peter, you said that you fought this thing for four tough years and then you uh, stopped and you decided it was a waste. Can I just ask though, suppose, suppose you didn't. Suppose you fought for those four years and then a little bit longer. Suppose that year four and a half, that's when God chose to set you free. Suppose, suppose your liberation came at year, you know, maybe four and a quarter. Would you still say that all of that was wasted time? Or, or would you be able to say yes to God, Peter? Or, or, or Peter, what if it turned out that what, one of the things that was going on there was that God was hand-selecting you as someone who he would use to reach out to other broken, hurting people in your orbit because in your faith story, you've learned what failure feels like. What if, what if that's what God was up to? What if he wasn't absent at all? but maybe that's what God was doing. He was cultivating you as someone who could reach people that other people can't. Then would you say yes to God? Like, like if it turned out that there was a purpose for the pain and if there was meaning behind your struggle, would you say that it was wasted or would you be able to say yes to God? And friends, I'm just like, 
what do we expect this to be like? What do we, what do we really expect? Are, we need to check our expectations of God. You know what I'm saying? Are we really going to judge and reject God based on what we see? Based on what we experience? Based on our timeline? Because, you know, it seems to me, if we expect God to conform to our timeline, and if we expect him to behave according to our expectations and plans, I'll tell you, we might as well quit today. Because he does not. And he will not. He, he never promised he would. He has never intended to. In fact, that is not just, that's not just my experience. That's not just my opinion. That's not even just the opinion of Lina Abu Hamra or Eugene Peterson. That, friends, that is the book of Habakkuk. That's what Habakkuk is all about. Habakkuk is the one who tells us the life of faith involves trembling and rejoicing. And that's normal. And we won't do the one if we can't experience the other. And Habakkuk shows us that faith doesn't expect to know why. Faith can rest in the fact that God has a why and we can live without knowing. And that's normal. That's the normal Christian life. Living and trusting God and not knowing the answer to why. Okay? That's normal. And another thing that Habakkuk shows us is that faith doesn't judge God based on what we humans can see and feel and process. As though we're the ones who have no blind spots. As though we have infallible judgment. Okay? Like, you need, we need to understand and accept it is normal not to always understand what God is doing. And in the meantime, we don't judge God based on what we see or feel. We don't judge God based on what looks and feels awful. And in fact, I would just remind us, the Christian faith itself rests on this claim that the most horrible, wicked, despicable, disgusting, evil event in history, in the end, was God's idea. It was God's idea. The cross was God's idea. If any moment in human history seemed meaningless, seemed wrong, seemed hopeless and pointless, it was Jesus, the Son of God, hanging on a cross. And I, know, I don't know much, but I know this. I know that if we had been there at Calvary, the last thing that we would have said is, this is good news. Like, this is the way of salvation. This is... This is a good thing. God is here doing something. So of course not. We would scan the scene and we see vultures circling overhead, waiting to, you know, pounce on the, the dead and peck away at their flesh. And we would see soldiers and pilgrims surrounding those three crosses, laughing at the men on their cro those crosses and yelling at them, calling out to Jesus and saying, you're the Messiah, aren't you? When are you going to climb down from there? Show us you're the Messiah. Prove it. We would see disciples way at the back, hiding and trembling because they're terrified. Something like this is going to happen to them. We would look at Jesus and see his face covered in blood from the crown of thorns. We would see his back and his shoulders and arms torn open by the Roman whips. We would see a Roman soldier picking up a spear and, and forcing it into Jesus' side and blood and water gushing out. 
And we would hear Jesus say over it all, Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. And he's right. He's right. No one there had any idea what they were doing. They didn't know what they were doing. And none of us would have looked at that moment, none of us standing there would have looked at that moment and said, this is mercy. This is the way of salvation. This is how God is reconciling heaven and earth. We would have said, no, God, please, no, save him. This is wrong. This is, this is wrong. Stop this. Make this stop. Don't let his life be wasted. He's your son. Don't you love him? We would, we would judge God. And we would be so wrong. And that's enough. That's enough to make me tremble. That's enough to make me stop you know, demanding to know why. That's enough to make me suspend my judgment and, and wait for God to do his thing. And I think that is the way of Jesus. That, that cross, that horrible, awful cross, that is where God saves us. That's where God's righteousness is put on display. That's where God's love is proven. And that's where our faith is, is like vindicated. Our faith is proven that it's not a waste. And centuries later, the Apostle Paul, he's going to think about Jesus on the cross and he's going to tell the Roman church, he's going to say, you guys, I'm not afraid. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. What are you talking about, Paul? Where did you get that idea? He got it from Habakkuk. He got it from Habakkuk. Habakkuk announced that 600 years earlier in chapter 2. The righteous will live on account of their faith. And so, friends, we've come full circle. We've been on this, this journey with Habakkuk these last uh, eight weeks. It began with complaints and objections, and it ends with a prophet singing for joy because now that God's sovereign grace has landed on him, he is now transformed from somebody who judges God to someone who trusts God. And I just, I pray that, I pray that we will join him. You know, something that we like to do from time to time is just share some take-it-home questions. The, the idea here is, you know, if you have a, a daily kind of quiet time or time in, in God's Word, studying the Scriptures, or if you are, you know, have time or opportunity over coffee with another person of faith, you know, it'll only do us good to keep thinking about these things. And so I've just put up a few questions here that I encourage you to take home with you and, and, and just continue the conversation. Question one is, what makes you tremble? What can make you tremble? And, and what makes you rejoice? Okay? Second question. What judgments have we made about God in the past that later turned out to be wrong? Maybe the judgment was like, it's too late for me. God can't use me. God can't help me. God, God can't love me. God, I'm, I'm on my own. How have you judged God prematurely? Third question is, if, if you had been there at Jesus' crucifixion, if you could see it, what would you think it was about? 
Like, what would you think is going on there? Question four, there's just one more after this. Question four asks, who do you know who might be helped by hearing your faith story? Who might be helped by hearing your faith story? Like, you have a faith story. You have a story that, that goes, you know, I experienced poverty, hunger, abuse, and betrayal, and my own sin, and impatience. And, and, and even though this happened, yet I rejoice in God. And I just wonder, who, who in your life needs to hear that? Who needs to hear that? And the last question is this. What might you do, or what might you do differently to show that you're saying yes to God? All right, what, what might we do, or what might we do differently to show that we're saying yes to God? Let's pray together. Thanks for listening to this message from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Feel free to copy and share these resources, but please don't alter the content in any way. We invite you to visit us online again soon at www.benediction.church for more teaching and information about how you can join us in serving and praying that it would be in Hamilton as it is in heaven. Thank you.